smells Jesus-y. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. We are the aroma of Christ. God has spoken in many ways, but now he's spoken Welcome to Smells Jesus-y, a podcast from Three Crosses Church. Today, we finish our series in Bible reading tools. If you would like to have a look at any of the diagrams Matt has been drawing for us, have a look at our Facebook page. Today, Matt Waldron speaks to us from Acts chapter 2, verses 36-47 to on Church Acts. Here's Matt. So we've been looking at the big topics of the Bible, the big themes of the Bible. Uh, we've looked at the Gospel, who Jesus is and what He has done. We've looked at uh, Revelation, how God makes Himself known to us. We've looked at uh, the kind of big picture of reality, God, creation, sin. Uh, we've looked at the future, the last things, the fact that Jesus has come to be kind of begin the future and He's coming back again to complete it. And uh, last week, we looked at salvation, how God personally works in your life, how He started that in eternity past, if you're trusting in Him, and how He'll bring that to completion. So we're, we're wrapping up our big topics of the Bible by looking at the church today. Uh, so I'm going to use my very, very expensive props here uh, in a way that I hope will be helpful. And I've just realized we'll not be terribly visible, but anyway... Uh, You'll, you'll get the idea. So each of our kind of levels of our cardboard church uh, has got four sides and four uh, main things we need to know about church. Uh, we're all involved in church. You're here this morning. And the thing that I think is difficult to understand about church is that church is God's people. What's difficult to understand about that, you might ask? Well, God created all people. All people rightfully belong to God. So when we talk about some of those people being God's people, what do we mean? That's really the question that confronts us as we try and understand what the Bible says about church. So the first two things to understand about church is that it's both invisible and visible. And we're just going to run through these ideas and look at some Bible passages that hopefully will make them clear and also clear that this is what the Bible says. So firstly, the fact that the Bible's in, the church is invisible is, uh, we already read this in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 to 24, which say, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So the church is built around God. The church is connected to Jesus. And therefore, there's a sense in which the church is all people of all times, past, present and future, who God saves. Uh, but we can't see that right now. Uh, in a sense, we'll be able to see that in the future, but right now it's invisible. So in what way is the church visible? Well, Matthew 7, verses 21 to 30, sorry, 21 to 23, uh, Jesus gives us an important warning about the visible church. Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, 
Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So Jesus here gives a very uh, striking, challenging warning that on the day he comes back, there'll be people who think they're Christians, people who are expecting to be with Jesus forever and he will say to them, no, I never knew you. You were deceiving yourselves. And so if we're capable of deceiving ourselves, we're certainly capable of deceiving others. And so there are people who God is saving, but there are also people who think they're part of that and are not. And so we can't always tell the difference. We certainly can't be certain. And so there's a sense in which the church is always invisible and always visible, at least until Jesus comes back. And so that leads to the other side of our kind of foundation, which is that the church is always both connected and local. So we see that the church around the world is connected in, uh, there's, there's lots of places, but one I like particularly is 1 John chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. 1 John chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us love not with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So there, uh, John is challenging Christians uh, that if we know God's love, that means we need to love ourselves. Not, sorry, not love ourselves, we do love ourselves. We need to love other people. Specifically, we must love other Christians, other people who believe in Jesus. Uh, he doesn't talk about us loving the world in general, though that other parts of the Bible talk about that. He talks about the fact that if we're reconciled to God, then we must love each other. And so if we see another Christian in need, we can't say, ah, oh, they're not part of my local church, they're not part of my denomination, they're not, you know, close enough to me to know about... You know, if you know about their needs, then, and you know they're a Christian, then you must love them as a fellow believer in Jesus. So there is some sense in which all Christians are connected. But there is also a sense in which the church is local. So Acts chapter 14, verses 21 to 28, is describing uh, churches being planted and organised. And notice it doesn't talk about the church being expanded into additional branches. It talks about churches being planted and organised. So uh, Acts chapter 14 verses 20 to 20, 21 to 28. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, 
strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. From Atalia, they sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So as they go around planting, starting, they, they tell people the wonderful message of Jesus, that even though we've all sinned, Jesus has died and been raised to life again to bring us back to God and give us eternal life with him. And so as people turn and believe that, they're organised as local churches and they appoint their own local leaders. They don't just say, okay, well, you're all part, you know, chapters of our organisation now, so we'll just continue telling you what to do. They say, no, we'll organise you to have your own leaders. But then they do go back to the church that sent them and tell them all about it, and they rejoice together because they are all connected. So the church is both connected and local. So there's our first layer. If we're going to understand the church at all, just understand what it is, the people of God. We need to understand that it's both invisible and visible. It's both connected and local. Well, the second layer is, what does the church do? If you're going to see the church being the church visibly, uh, what would that look like? What's the church do? And so our first side is the church uh, glorifies God and grows people. So let me show an example of uh, glorifying God in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. Uh, this is a prayer that Paul is praying. Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably all than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work with us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So here's a great example of Paul praying that God will grow them as people in his love for his own glory. And so glorifying God and growing people uh, can't be separated. Uh, the other thing that you can see the church doing uh, practically is gathering and scattering. So we'll see uh, the church uh, gathering. I think, I think the clearest instruction about that is in Hebrews 10, verses 24 to 25. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So the church, Christians, have the habit of meeting together to spur one another on, 
uh, you, you mustn't stop doing that. You mustn't give that up. But Christians also need to scatter and be involved in the rest of the world. So 1 Peter 2 uh, talks about that. 1 Peter 2, verses 11 to 17. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. So, they've got to live their good lives amongst the people around them who are not Christians. These are people who worship all sorts of other gods, so they're pagans. And they're supposed to live their good lives so that those other people can see their good deeds enough to be able to acknowledge that God was right when He comes back. So they have to be living among them so that people can see it. Look how it goes on from verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God, honour the emperor. So they're not just living in this little Christian enclave, uh, honouring God and loving each other, they have to honour the emperor. They have to be involved in the rest of the life of the world around them. Uh, they are supposed to participate in the kind of social structures of um, free people and slaves, but not the way everyone else does. So the church needs to be both uh, gathering and scattering. So our next layer is the kind of tools God gives His people to do these things. If we're going to glorify God, if we're going to grow together, if we're going to gather and scatter, what, what equipment has God given us to do these things? Well, the big four, I would say, are the Bible, prayer, sacraments and singing. Uh, there are, of course, lots of parts of the Bible that talk about the Bible, but let me uh, show you a bit that I think connects it clearly to the church. So 1 Timothy 4, 11 to 14. Paul's writing to Timothy as a church leader and he says this, Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. So here is Timothy, who's uh, a young man. He's uh, gifted. He has the Holy Spirit working in him. He's been commissioned by, you know, this big reputable church that's had a big impact on the world. Uh, he's working hard. But what is, what is the crux of what he's got to work with? Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Right? Read the Bible to people and proclaim it and explain it. That's his big tool for the church. Uh, the role of prayer in the church, I think we see in Ephesians 6, verse 18. This is uh, just in passing, but I think you'll, uh, you'll be able to get it. So this is at the end of the, um, the armour of God bit. Uh, Ephesians 6, 18, 
and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. What is the big things, what's the kind of big thing God's people is supposed to do? God's people are supposed to do with prayer. We're supposed to pray for all God's people. That doesn't mean we can't pray for ourselves as God's people. It doesn't mean we can't pray for, you know, people who are particularly close to us. That's all part of it, but the big aim is for God's people to pray for each other. Okay, and so on the other side of this layer is sacraments and singing. So the sacraments that Jesus has given us are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Uh, baptism is symbolic of being united to Christ, the start of the Christian life, and the Lord's Supper is symbolic of feeding on Jesus by faith. And so these things are not just teaching aids, though they are that, but as we uh, focus on God, sim the way He works symbolised in the sacraments, God works in us to grow us in Him. Uh, and so uh, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus tells His followers to go and make disciples and the initiation is to be baptism. So Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And we read about the Lord's Supper earlier and we celebrated it. But let me just uh, draw your attention to one other detail in that passage. In 1 Corinthians 11, after describing the Lord's Supper as this sort of fundamental Christian ceremony that Paul received from Jesus, that he's passed on to the church, then in verse 27 he says, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined, so that we will not finally be condemned with the world. Now, I don't know how anyone can read that passage and think the Lord's Supper is not a big deal. It's not just a skit. It's a sacrament, a, a symbolic way of God relating to us that He's given us for our strengthening. Uh, and verses 33 and 34, So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I'll come, I'll give you further directions. When you gather to eat, all eat together. This is part of what the church gathers for, is to celebrate the Lord's Supper, uh, along with baptism, as we welcome new people into God's family. Uh, oh, singing. Uh, singing, singing. Uh, Colossians 3, 15 to 17. Uh, I'm not going to say a lot about this, other than to point out the fact uh, that I feel like our culture today in Australia, just broadly, has a kind of mixed relationship with singing. Uh, on one hand, we don't have the kind of culture that lots of parts of the world have. You know, there are lots of villages where when something good happens, everybody sings together to celebrate. Uh, we don't do that in Australia unless we're drunk. Uh, but we do, you know, 
have reality TV shows with singing competitions that people get very excited about. So I'm not sure exactly where we're going as a nation with singing. So all of that is just to say, it might be a surprise to us that the Bible seems to view singing as a big deal, as kind of one of the fundamental things that happen in church. Uh, so Colossians 3, uh, 15 to 17 say this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Oh, that all sounds, you know, kind of conservative and intellectual and safe, doesn't it? Except he goes on. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. In other words, every kind of song you can think of, is that's the idea, just all sorts of songs, use them to teach and admonish one another, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So, uh, you can ask me over morning tea if you want to know my personal theory about singing, but the basic idea is that singing is in some way one of the tools that God has equipped His people with. The Bible, prayer, sacraments and singing. Okay, and so the final layer, uh, how, do we, how do we actually practically do all this? How do we organise all of this? Uh, so the, f the first two are uh, by service and diversity. These are fundamental to how we organise church. So uh, in Mark chapter 10, verses 42 to 45, uh, Jesus' first disciples are kind of having some argy-bargy about the pecking order and who's in charge of who and all that kind of stuff. And this is what Jesus says, Mark chapter 10, verses 42 to 45. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. They're arguing about how to organise who's in charge, and Jesus says, whoa, whoa, you're missing the whole point. Being part of the Kingdom of God is all about service. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Uh, and the other thing about the church is it is diverse. Um, I feel like sometimes we can talk about diversity as an unfortunate thing we have to put up with. But that's not how the Bible describes it. Uh, God's people being diverse and not all the same is part of God's plan for His glory, some part of God's design. So 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 19 puts it like this. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 19. Just as a body though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is, is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one Spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. 
Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they are all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So just God has put each of his people in his people. No one is uh, in the church accidentally. And so every one of us belongs as us. All different, all together. Uh, so that's, you know, that's a lot to organise. We're supposed to be... Notice the, the, the issue this puts together, service and diversity. Right? Just looking after your own needs is kind of easy because you know what you need, you know what you like, you know, you can kind of sort it out. But the church is about us meeting each other's needs. It's about us serving each other. And suddenly that's more, cha more challenging because each other is different from each other. Right? Us, me serving you and you serving me means we've got to understand each other despite the fact that we're different and we have different needs and different preferences, uh, different challenges, different struggles, different pasts. But that's the plan for us to grow together for God's glory. Final side is submission and leadership. So just a quick example of each of these. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 to 21. Listen to the kind of vibe of this section. Ephesians chapter 4, 15 to 21. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And I think I'm in the wrong passage. Yes, I am. Okay, I meant chapter 5. Oh, I haven't got a pen to create my notes. I'll just have to remember. Okay, Ephesians chapter 5 from verse 15. I mean, that was a very appropriate Bible reading as well about the church. Ephesians chapter 5 from verses 15 to 21. But I do want you to listen to the vibe. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, I reckon it'd be surprising for anyone in our culture today to write that like that. Right? Be careful about how you live. Be wise. Make the most of every opportunity. Don't be stupid. 
Right? Be discerning about what God wants. Don't get drunk, which is going to lead to bad consequences. Instead, depend on God's Spirit, which is going to lead to good spirit consequences. Uh, encourage each other in Jesus. Sing to each other. Sing and praise God. Be thankful to God in everything. And submit to one another. Did you see that coming? Right? So, submission is this fundamental part of organizing ourselves as church. It goes along with discerning God's ways, being wise, encouraging each other, praising God, uh, speaking God's word to each other, and submit to one another. But to organize that, we've got to have some kind of structure. And so that brings us to leadership. Hebrews uh, 13, verses 15 to 17 if you've been flicking along, keeping up with all the Bible passages, this is your last one. Hebrews 13, 15 to 17. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess His name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Uh, notice the assumption there, God gives leaders for people's benefit. Right? Don't make their job harder than it needs to be. This is not a complaint or a criticism, just telling you what the passage says. Uh, don't make their job harder than it needs to be, because that will be of no benefit to you. They're given for your benefit. So uh, that's how we organize church. Uh, service, diversity, submission, and leadership. Uh, I'm not going to go through all this list again, but I will leave my beautiful cardboard church up the front. And uh, a game you might like to play after the service uh, while you're enjoying your morning tea is to rotate, you know, one or more levels at a time and see which uh, characteristics of the church that lines up. And that might prompt you to think about how God has put that together. I just want to end by reminding you of the first two things and the last two things. The first two things, the church is both invisible and visible. So because the church is ultimately invisible, uh, we can't ultimately know exactly what God is doing in us, in our church locally, in the world. We have to trust Him. But because the church is also visible, we can't use it as an excuse to be lazy. Uh, the church is, although the church is <clears throat> not, we, we can't know if it's pure, it's probably never pure. The church is supposed to look like the church. The visible church is supposed to look recognizably like the invisible church. And so we want to be discerning and hardworking encouraging each other, striving together. And then our last two were submission and leadership. I think um, in Australia today, the, in our society broadly, we are extremely individualistic. And so uh, submission and leadership can feel foreign. But it's helpful to notice, I think, that we don't we don't have submission in the church because we have leadership, as far as I can tell. We have leadership in the church because we have submission. 
Because God is our Heavenly Father, He's created us for a relationship with Him. He has sent His only Son to die to bring us back into His family. Uh, we need to submit to Him. And so because the church is built in submission, we also need to organise that. And that's what leaders are for. And so we need to, each of us, every one of us, uh, submit to our leaders that God has given us. Uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for making us your church, your people, your kingdom, the body of Jesus, the temple of the Holy Spirit, your family. Father, please help us uh, to understand that the church is both invisible and visible. That uh, your work in the world throughout history, we can't see directly. So help us to trust you that you're doing it and that it's working and that Jesus will come back and complete it. But help us also to take the visibility of the church seriously. Help us to examine our own hearts, uh, asking for you to give us the truth. Help us to encourage and challenge each other to keep growing in serving Jesus and living differently from the rest of the world. And help us to be discerning but not paranoid about loving other Christians around the world. Father, thank you uh, so much for saving us from ourselves, saving us from our, our arrogance in thinking we can run lives our own way and that's going to work. Thank you for bringing us back to trust Jesus and submit to you as our Heavenly Father. Uh, Father, please help us to trust you in expressing that in submitting to each other and help us to have wisdom in appointing and working with leaders in our lives, in our church, in our world. Amen.